Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that, yeah. might, that must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home. And uh, I saw some kids running around with I their love shirt it. on. And it was really surreal. It was a cool moment, cool experience for sure. Uh, that's so cool. You guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you. But when people are looking up to you like they do, I mean, they think, I mean, you're the man right now. for <laughs> <laughs> the University of Montana. What's yeah. that like being a Montana kid? Um, it's different for sure. Um, you know, growing up, you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids' lives. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure... Uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And of course, they have Junior Bergen t-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. Well, happy now for the first edition of one of my favorite segments of this previous year, the first one of 2022 that is. It's the Sports Medicine Journal presented by Missoula Bone and Joint. Dr. Michael Wright joins us once a month to talk about all the things that go into various injuries that you might hear from the world of sports. Uh, no particular sport, all sports have injuries associated with them, unfortunately, but that's why it's great to have orthopedic doctors and orthopedic surgeons like Dr. Michael Wright to help take care of you. Doc, Happy New Year. Thanks so much for being with us. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great, uh, Coulter. Thanks for having me back. First and foremost, I want to talk to you about this dynamic that I sort of learned about over the, over the last weekend. And we're not going to talk about specific players or instances like we never do. We're just going to talk broadly about certain uh, dynamics that cause certain sorts of injuries. One injury that really impacted the FCS National Championship game uh, was a high ankle sprain. And I learned about the dynamic of aversion high ankle sprains, ones that are uh, maybe even more severe because of not only the impact and the angle of the injury, but also because of maybe the turf cleats getting caught, all that sort of stuff. So explain that dynamic to us. First of all, I know we've talked about this once before on this segment, but that was about a year ago. So I guess just start with what defines a high ankle sprain? Why is it different than just a normal ankle sprain? Well, yeah, that's that's right, Colter. There's two, two main categories that as orthopedic surgeons, we think about this type of injury. So low ankle sprains versus high ankle sprains. And in general, low ankle sprains are pretty quick to recover from. Uh, people are usually able to put weight on it after it happens, although it's painful. High ankle sprains disrupt a different set of ligaments, and they actually uh, disrupt the ligaments that hold the two leg bones together right above the ankle, and that's why it's called a high ankle sprain. The ligaments that are injured are actually higher up than the ankle joint. The low ankle sprain disrupts the ligaments that are actually below the ankle joint. And so in, generally, if, in general, if you hear high ankle sprain, you're immediately thinking, okay, this is a, a more severe uh, ankle sprain. And the, the difference anatomically is the, the structures that are, are actually injured. And so a high ankle sprain disrupts the distal uh, tibiofibular ligaments, which are the ligaments that hold the ankle together. Now, a, a subset of that ankle sprain that's actually even worse is an eversion type, uh, which is something that you alluded to where it actually damages the the ankle ligaments on the inside of the ankle called the deltoid ligament. So it's an extra 
it, it's an even worse type of high ankle sprain as far as high ankle sprains go. Um, sometimes it even necessitates surgery if it disrupts, you know, both the inside of the ankle joint as well as uh, the the ligaments that attach in the lower leg. And so, yeah, this can be devastating, as you know, for athletes. I mean, high ankle sprains can really really plague some athletes and there again as we've we've talked before it's a whole spectrum you know there's there's some that are mild high ankle sprains and then there's some that are extremely severe uh so very difficult to to talk prognostically about it without knowing uh the severity of the ankle sprain itself Dr. Michael Wright joining us is the Sports Medicine Journal presented by Missoula Bone and Joint, where he is an orthopedic surgeon here in the Garden City. And I want to go into that aversion a little bit more because, again, we're not talking about specifics, but at the FCS National Championship game between Montana State and North Dakota State, there were several key injuries on each side. And to me, each time it looked like the injury was a lower leg injury, high ankle sprain or otherwise, maybe even some sort of knee strain or tear as well. And so much of it, I thought, was because the game was played on Bermuda grass, which is catered to soccer players, and there was all sorts of moisture on the field. So when it does catch, I mean, how does that add just to the severity of of the injury as well as then, I mean, is it worse? Is it harder to come back from? What's the dynamic like uh, if you want to come back into that specific game and or just down the road? It seems like if it gets caught, the, the injury can be a lot more significant, a lot more severe. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, the harder that the foot is fixed into the playing surface, be it turf or natural grass, you know, the harder that it's fixed down in the playing surface, the, the higher potential uh, for injury. Because, you know, if the foot uh, doesn't catch the ground very severely and it can immediately give way, well, that's going to protect the ligaments because then there's motion at the surface. But, you know, if you have a cleated athlete who's playing, you know, on a surface where those cleats get really stuck in, that's then the momentum of their body is going to continue forward and, and it would be a higher likelihood to have, to have an injury occur. Um, but, you know, I think when you look at, you know, if someone can go back in and play from any type of ankle sprain, you, you have to look at a couple things. You know, if they're, they're really unable to put much weight on it, I mean, it's really you got to look at, are we going to put them back out there where they can't protect themselves? And, and that's the biggest question. You don't want to put them in a situation where they can't move quickly when they need to move quickly uh, because of the chances of them getting hurt again or even more more severely really comes into play. So it is kind of a fine line. You know, when do you, when do you just kind of suck it up and go for it and tape them up? Or when do you say, you know what, uh, we're just going to shut you down for the game and do this right. And uh, it's a fine line. It's a judgment call. There really is no, no right or wrong answer. Um, you know, one little rule that, that occasionally I've used is if the person can jump on one foot after an ankle sprain on the sidelines, then they, you know, might be, might be well enough to protect themselves in the game and they can go back in. And certainly you see that applied at the collegiate and professional level all the time. You know, guys will have kind of lower grade ankle sprains and, and go back in. But uh, the answer is, as always in sports medicine, it seems as it depends. You know, it depends on a lot of things uh, in terms of return to play after this type of injury. And there's always the balance, too, between just pain threshold and also then how much does the pain threshold impact further or I guess long-term side effects, long-term um, lingering of, of said injury. So if you do have the ability to, like you're saying, hop on one foot or something after a sprain, but if it is diagnosed as a high ankle, how, how much do you have to worry about long-term effects? I mean, can, can you hurt yourself more significantly even without impact if you do play on that injury? 
you, you totally can. I mean, you really can. This is an injury where it's not an all or nothing. You know, when we talk about ACL, that's usually all or nothing. Partial ACL tears, extremely, extremely rare. But with ankles, you know, they're, they're kind of a whole spectrum from really mild to really severe. So if you have kind of a milder-ish high ankle sprain, you're able to hop on one foot, able to go in, and then you have a secondary injury in that immediate uh, first 24 hours, I mean, you can turn it into a really bad uh, ankle injury that then would potentially necessitate surgery. And so that's kind of where you have to exercise caution. And it's it's always a tough conversation with athletes because, you know, at least at the collegiate level, they're, they're usually, you know, begging to go back in. Uh, professional level, I think, is a little bit different for a lot of reasons. Uh, but at the collegiate level, they're, they're usually begging to go back in. And so it is a tough, tough decision, you know, certainly in, in a game like uh, the one you alluded to where the championship, uh, national championships on the line. Dr. Michael Wright joining us here on Nuanas Now. It's ESPN Radio as well as SWX Montana Television. It's our Sports Medicine Journal. We do this once a month here on ESPN Radio, and we'll also have this as a standalone podcast as well. You can always find it on our station website, on all your podcast hosting platforms, as well as on the Missoula Bone & Joint website, Missoula Bone & Joint, the presenting sponsor of the Sports Medicine Journal. Doc, the other thing that I saw during the FCS playoffs was a guy diving for a tackle and then landing and then sort of hyperextending his shoulder. It was not necessarily an impact from a hit as much as it was impact with the turf and sort of an awkward backward angle. It definitely looked like it was detrimental at the least and certainly probably severely injuring to both labrum and rotator cuff. I know you have a lot of experience with those two types of injuries. My question for you is the guy I'm referring to, he then left the game and then came back in with a significant cuff underneath his pads. What does that cuff do to stabilize a shoulder? And is there a difference between labrum and rotator cuff stabilization? Or I guess when you have that sort of impact, that sort of hyperextension, I guess I would say of the rotator cuff slash AC joint area, what's that injury like and how does the cuff sort of mitigate it so a player can continue to play in a football game? Well, the whole point of the cuff, you know, the other name for it is a, a sully brace. Some people call them. The whole point of it is how do we take away some of this joint's motion uh, really to let it heal. And so the point of the cuff is to prevent your shoulder from being twisted in some sort of direction uh, that would cause it to become unstable. So generally we use those cuffs for, for guys that have loose shoulders, shoulders that have dislocated, shoulders that partially dislocate, and it allows them to kind of hold that shoulder at least in the socket so they can continue to participate. Now, sometimes they can, sometimes they can't. Rotator cuff is kind of a whole different animal. Um, if an athlete sustains a traumatic rotator cuff tear, it's usually pretty apparent to both the athlete and the medical provider that something something is majorly wrong and they really really do not go into back into games if they had an acute rotator cuff tear because usually they, they can't lift the arm overhead at all it's it's basically just a completely dysfunctional uh, arm in in that setting so it is it, there's kind of a, a difference a big difference in the way we treat labrum and rotator cuff labrum you know this is what you hear about guys getting through the season wearing the brace and then they have surgery right when the season's over to stabilize the shoulder. It's somewhat of an elective uh, shoulder surgery, whereas if someone sustained a full thickness rotator cuff tear during play, that would be a season a season ending injury because there is some detriment to waiting to the end of the season, uh, meaning it may translate into inferior outcomes. Uh, down the road if you were to wait on that. So those braces that do hold the shoulder in, I've had kind of mixed experience within, so, with them. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't, uh, but it is something that the guys can use sometimes to, to prolong their season. I, I will tell you, any athlete that 
that uh, has to reach up overhead real aggressively will not like that cuff brace. You know, particularly wide receivers is the position that comes to mind. You know, making the one-handed catch with their arm overhead, it's very challenging to do that in a brace because it's designed uh, to hold the shoulder in the socket, which means hold it more down at the side. Sports President Joe, presented by Missoula Bone and Joint. Dr. Michael Wright joining us here on ESPN Radio. And the one last hypothetical I want to ask you about, Doc, is I know there was a pretty prominent, actually two pretty prominent running backs I can think of uh, that participated in the FCS playoffs. And there was all sorts of scuttle that these guys were going to have to have both knees operated on. And when I thought that, I thought immediately meniscus, not necessarily an ACL or an MCL. But there is ways to sort of play through all of these things now. Maybe not ideal, maybe not good for your long-term health or your short-term recovery. When you hear maybe a guy has a pending procedure on his knees, that seems like meniscus is probably the most common one. So just take us through sort of that uh, that saga because you can sort of wait it out and, and get a meniscus surgery later on if, in fact, it's not too detrimental of an injury and it's not too severe, right? Absolutely. Yeah, the meniscus, you know, it's one of those structures that when we do meniscus surgery as orthopedic surgeons, most of the time it involves trimming the meniscus or taking out the unstable portion of the meniscus. Now, sometimes, and particularly in athletes, we push the envelope in terms of repairing the meniscus, which would mean you'd actually use suture material to sew the meniscus back together. And so eight eight or nine times out of 10, you're just going to go in and trim out the loose piece of tissue. And that's because most of the meniscus is devoid of any blood supply that will allow it to heal. The only type of meniscus tears that we actually can heal that can heal when you repair them are the type that's out in the peripheral rim. And so this is something lots and lots of athletes play through. In fact, there's been studies that show a lot of people have meniscus tears and don't even know it. So they're minimally symptomatic. And then when they have a surgery in the off season, it's usually more of a, a pretty quick recovery. If you just have a knee scope, it's sometimes referred to or a knee arthroscopy. However, if you had a meniscus that needed to be repaired, that's a bigger surgery, not quite as big as ACL, but it's a little bit longer of a recovery. You're looking at more in the three month mark. Uh, whereas, you know, guys that have a knee scope, for example, NBA players, I mean, sometimes they're back as early as four weeks uh, after the procedure. But, you know, if you think about a meniscus tear that is not going to be repaired and you tell someone they can continue to play on it, the structure is already damaged and it's coming out down the road. And so we don't feel as bad as, let it, as you know, letting them play through the season with a meniscus because you know that even if it does get a little worse, you're taking that structure out anyway. Um, so anyway, and that's it's somewhat of a controversial topic, but uh, that is definitely something that a lot I, I see a lot of guys and a lot of people just play through and continue to uh, to go through life with because uh, they can tolerate the symptoms from it, you know, remarkably well. He's Dr. Michael Wright, Missoula Bone and Joint Orthopedic Surgeon. He joins us once a month here on Nuana is Now, the Sports Medicine Journal. Doc, very informative. We'll have uh, more specific conversations moving forward, but I thought those were all pertinent for the place and time. Thanks so much for being with us. We love hearing from you each month, and uh, have yourself a great rest of the month, and we'll talk to you next time around. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah, you bet, Coulter. Good chatting with you. It's finally starting to feel like winter around here, and if you need some nice winter gear, How about the fine folks at Sitka? They make awesome winter clothes, and they sell custom Bobcat Sitka gear at the MSU Bookstore. You can shop online anytime at msubookstore.org, or, of course, you can check out the MSU Bookstore live and in person there on the Montana State campus. They also have some graduation regalia back in order there at the MSU Bookstore. They have an awesome American Indian Council selection as well. Visit on campus anytime you need blue and gold or visit online anytime, anywhere, msubookstore.org.
MSUBookstore.org. MSU Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day located there on the Montana State campus.